Blog Talk Radio. And you're listening to Call Talk for Wednesday, January 5th, 2011. Today's topic is employee morale, ideas and insights to create an outrageously cool culture. With special guest today, Kirk Weasler. If you're listening live, we invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. It's easy. Just email us at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com. Or if you're listening on the phone or close to one, call us at 347-857-3117. Make sure to press the number one on your phone to let us know you have a question. I'll be sure to get you in. Now, everyone who asks a question on the show today via email or phone will receive a free copy of Bruce's book, Excuse me, Benchmarking at its Best, and one person will be chosen at random to win an in-depth reality benchmark report valued at $1,500. As a special treat, two lucky listeners today will also win a copy of Kirk's book, Dog Poop Initiative. To qualify, all you have to do is ask a question, and the final winners will be chosen at random. I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at calltalk.tv any time of the day. And now, I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, and Happy New Year, everyone. Well, today's topic is employee morale, ideas and insights to create an outrageously cool culture. And today we brought in an expert on the topic for you, Kirk Weasler. Kirk is a very uh, creative guy, as you can tell by the name of his book, The Dog Poop Initiative, and uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit more later. In the low-morale, high-turnover world of uh, call centers with their churn-and-burn approach uh, that many people see in terms of uh, people management, uh, Kirk believed that work and all work uh, could matter. So he created his own job title, which is Chief Morale Officer, and started his own little revolution and began to make real his vision of what culture building could do to make a difference. And uh, he's an expert on creating culture, change, community, and connections in the workplace, Uh, His uh, passionate presentation style connects with audiences around the globe, and he speaks uh, with uh, many industry groups and leaves them empowered with practical and doable techniques that they can take home and replicate with their employees. Uh, He shared his message with uh, business leaders and corporations worldwide, including PeopleSoft, Lockheed Martin, Fossil, GE, etc. I've seen him a number of times, including at Call Center Campus at Purdue University, uh, he has also spoken to classes of our mutual friend, Professor Richard Feinberg, there at Purdue. And most recently, I saw him at uh, the IR conference in Tennessee, which is the International Association of Reservation Executives, where he gave a great talk. So, Kirk, I'm really happy to uh, uh, to, to greet you today. Bruce, pleasure to be on your show. I'm excited. Let's uh, let's get to our listeners and give them something that they can do. Okay, great. Well, uh, you know, more than a few of our listeners are probably wishing or at least wondering how they can get a cool title like Chief Morale Officer. Uh, how did that come about? Well, it cost me, Bruce, it cost me a dozen donuts. Uh, see, I'll, I'll give you a short version of the story. <laughs> um, the, 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 
I kind of got introduced to the world of the contact center. This was 10 or something years ago, um, and before we began offshoring all this, and we were just kind of sending it to rural places in America. And, and uh, I, you know, they told me that these outsourced contact centers, they were just high turnover places and that I really need to focus on morale, and that was why I was hired, and those are my natural gifts and talents. And, and then, but there was, no, there was no cool title. I think they wanted to give me the title of Director of Total Quality, and which, I mean, is a valuable title, but I didn't want it. And I was reading Fast Company magazine. And I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be hip. And, uh, and then I heard Tom Peters screaming on some kind of a uh, conference call or something where he said, if you don't like your job title or job description, make up a new one. And I was like, you know what? I want a cool title. And I read about cool titles. So I said, if it's a morale issue, I want to be the chief morale officer. Bruce, I knew that they would never make me the officer of the, an officer of the company because I didn't have any credentials or mm-hmm. anything. So I said, okay. And, uh, but nobody really liked it except me. So I gave a dozen donuts to the people in market, and they printed up my business cards for me. <laughs> and um, I was so proud of those. I showed my boss, and he was the CEO of our company, and he, he immediately said um, he thought it was ridiculous, and he, he also wasn't on the org chart. And he told me, when these cards are gone, it's over. And, uh, but the, the touche for him was um, we later had a visit from, um, I think I, it was years ago, I can say the name of the client, uh, Gateway Computers, they were outsourcing. Of course, Gateway was a bigger company then. They were outsourcing uh, for their seasonal calls, and there was potential of about 200 seats for us. And and they, we were one of six visits they were making uh, in the state. And uh, we weren't really on the radar. We didn't think we were going to get it. They had already told us that we were too small for them. And But they toured our contact center and came up and made this announcement. I kid you not. I'm sitting back there. I've already been chastised for my ridiculous job title. And the vice president from Gateway said, you know what, <clears throat> you weren't on our radar screen, but, you know, Gateway needs to do business with a company that cares enough about culture to create a position for a chief morale officer, someone to focus on the issues of culture. So we're going to do business. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was a really good idea. And you should have heard my boss, Bruce. My boss didn't skip a beat. As soon as this guy got done speaking, my boss leaned forward and said, when we hired Kirk to be the chief morale officer at our company, our focus on, you know, and it was just – he didn't even take a breath. <laughs> he didn't even take a breath. So, so you so, were co-opted uh, yeah. with a, with a uh, box of uh, donuts. That's great. <laughs> yeah, donuts, and then, you, and then I, I guess you have to deliver after you've delivered donuts. You have to deliver something that yeah. improves the culture. But, yeah, they're make it up and print them off. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there is that kind of combination uh, that you need in terms of the morale, which is creativity, a little bit of chutzpah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you really kind of flew in the face of the corporate culture there. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit of luck, but uh, a lot of a lot of planning too. So that that's great. That's a great story. Well, uh, you know, one of the things you you say is that uh, you know you're always reminding leaders how to lead. I remember that in your last talk. In fact, uh, t- tell us a little bit about that because that I think uh, has a lot of meaty takeaways that uh, people on the on the show can probably utilize. I, well, okay, let me just I'll take a step back and see if I can put a little bit of foundation under that and. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a I'm a big advocate. I you know, if anyone's ever heard me at a conference, they know that I I've, I also do a couple sessions on the, the importance of readership and leadership. So I believe in learning and reading the biographies, and I love the leadership books. I've got a leadership library. I know that you do, um, but at the same time, I I don't think leaders really need to go buy six books to really be the best leader. I think if we would just take a step back, we already know what will help us be a more effective leader. We just need to think about it for a second. We've already had enough experiences with leaders in our own lives to know what we liked, what mm-hmm. connected with us, 
mm-hmm. what made a difference, what got us up off our butt, what got us going, what got us growing. And if we would just give back to the people that we have stewardship to serve as leaders, what we've been given that got us to where we are, that would probably be enough. So I believe that great leaders teach. Mm-hmm. So right, managers kind of manage. So managers kind of tend towards the tell approach of leadership, mm-hmm. where leaders tend towards the teach approach. So teach to reach so you can inspire in people a desire and you don't have to require it. And so for me, teaching is, 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 is really the, the focus of leaders and, and, and reminding leaders that, uh, that, you know what, you already know what you need to do. Mm. You just need to go do it. Mm-hmm. Because what we do is not always a reflection of what we know. We know better than most things that we do. Let me make this very specific and so we can give some of your listeners an activity they could actually go back and do with their folks today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I got this idea from Intuit years ago. I had a buddy down at Intuit, left our contact center, and went down there and said, Kirk, we did the coolest activity. And basically, you just draw a, a, a five-point star on a piece of paper mm-hmm. uh, in the center and make it about the size of, I don't know, your fist or something. It doesn't have to be really big, but the size of a star. And then by each leg of that star, draw a line. And then hand this star, hand, make a photocopy of it. I did mine in PowerPoint, but make a photocopy of it and give it to every member of your team. And then and say, okay, I want you guys to think about five leaders that have influenced the course of your life, five people that have influenced the way that you lead, mm-hmm. the way you think about leadership, the way that you want to lead, five leaders or five people that have influenced the course of your life. Mm-hmm. And then have every member of your team do it, your leadership team or your, your frontline team, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then what I like to do, Bruce, is I like to disqualify some people. I say, Please don't put down... Biblical figures. I'm not trying to demean anyone's religious beliefs. I have my own, but I don't want. We don't need Jesus Christ or Moses on there. We want someone they've they've actually rubbed shoulders with. And I also ask them not to put down family members. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so it only takes two or three minutes, and all of a sudden everyone's looking at five names. Now, mm-hmm. Bruce, if you thought about five people that would be on your list, yep. um, give me one of them. Uh, Sister Saint Julie. <laughs> who's and who's this person? Uh, she would have been a teacher who had an impact on my life and who really uh, was, uh, you know, a strong leader in her own way and who um, really taught extremely well, very professional, but really cared. I mean, I think that's probably the the, uh, the essential thing. She cared so much about the kids. Okay, how old were, how old were you? I was a freshman in high school. Okay. Do you know what, Bruce? Sharing a, sharing a teacher is a very common thing. Of the five names on people's list, one of them is typically a teacher. Now mm-hmm. think about this. Here's the other thing, thing we find on this exercise. Between, the age, between kindergarten and college, I mean, how many teachers do you think we have? I mean, 20 out of 20, 30 teachers we've had, in 20, you know, at least, right? Yep. Most people can only name two or three teachers. Mm. From the course of kindergarten through college, they can only name two or three. Mm-hmm. And then you say, well, what was it about these two or three? And you know what they say? Well, they seemed to, they said exactly what you said. This person seemed to really care. They were passionate about their topic or subject, right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, and, and another common trait of teachers was, this is the teacher that really held my feet to the fire. This wasn't mm-hmm. the easy over teacher. The teachers right. that we remember are the ones that held us accountable. So all of a sudden we see accountability is key, mm-hmm. um, caring is key, passion is key, and all of a sudden we can look at all five names and we see common themes, not just among the five names on your list, but among all the players on your team. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. now we begin to explore and ask questions. And say, what was it about this leader? And, and we give each member of our team a chance to tell a story about a leader that influenced the way that they think about leadership. And mm-hmm. as a, if, if I was a leader of a team and everyone on my team told me what they respected about these leaders in their life, 
Do you think it might help me change the way I lead them, the way I mm-hmm. engage them, the way I hold them accountable? Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a simple, replicable activity, and any leader on this call who will go back and do any version of the activity with the team is going to experience an aha moment or two or three or more, and, uh, and they'll love it. And it costs nothing. You don't have to hire a consultant or buy a book. And mm-hmm. you'll learn more about leadership during that exercise or be reminded more about leadership, what you already know, mm-hmm. than you would through four or five books. Even Jim Collins' Good to Great won't teach you as much. Yeah, yeah. No, as you were talking about that, I was thinking too uh, through the professional life and personal life. Uh, another word that comes to mind is mentorship. I mean, it sort of brings together a lot of the qualities that you were just talking about, oh, and, uh, and 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 then trying to uh, incorporate that into the message here, which is becoming a mentor. Uh, well, do you have some thoughts on that? On becoming a mentor. Well, it's so. When I think about mentoring, I also think a little bit about coaching. So for me, they're a little bit synonymous. I know they're a little bit different mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. most folks, but I want, when I think someone who's mentoring me, they care enough to give me some coaching or they care enough to, to kind of reach in my life and say, you know what, Kirk, <clears throat> let me say it this way. One of the five names on my list is Mrs. Griffin, and like your, uh, your person, she was a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. She, she was a teacher in John Tyler High School in Tyler, Texas, who would actually send me to the office more than – not just any other teacher, but probably more than all the other teachers combined. She would send me to the office, and I and quite frankly, I I deserved to go. You know, I, I wasn't. You know, I I, I earned the little trip. I can't but, imagine you not <clears throat> just sitting there quietly and uh, accepting yeah, everything. Yeah, was there was some there were some issues. So, but but uh, but <laughs> but then here here's what she would do, and this is key. This is key, especially for the leaders on our call, because every leader on our call sometimes we have to give our people some hard feedback or you know, some accountability. And accountability can if we're not careful, it can be really negative instead of really positive as it should be. Mm-hmm. So she would send me to the office, <clears throat> and I would go to the office where, again, I deserved to be. As I walked out of the principal's office where I had my little talking to or whatever happened in there, um, guess who was waiting for me in the office um, foyer? Mm. Mrs. Griffin. Mm. And then this little lady, about 105 pounds, she would hook my arm, and she would love me all the way back to her classroom. And she would mm. say, Kirk... I see greatness in you, Kirk. The reason I sent you is because I expect more, Kirk. You're going to accomplish great things. And she gave me this pep talk. Here I was wanting to hate her, mm-hmm. but I couldn't because she loved me all the way back to the office. In other words, so if we have to reprimand or reprove someone, show afterwards an increase of love. Well, is that mentoring? Is that coaching? Yeah, she taught me a great principle there. Even though I was, I was 17 and didn't have enough clue to really get it, on hindsight, when I reflect on it, I realize, you know what? She was showing me the way mm. even then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had to have a, little, a few steps down the wisdom path to, to look back and go, oh, my gosh, I learned a great thing there. Mm. So, so mentoring has already taken place. But, so we can look back uh, at our leadership exercise and go, who are the great mentors in my life and what was it about them that put me in a teachable place where I was, was willing, mm-hmm. able and responsive to the mentoring they offered. In other words, what got me to that teachable place where I was open to mentoring? Okay, mm-hmm. key two about mentoring is people, don't, people aren't just walking up, and no one's going to walk up to anyone on this call and say, hey, can I be your mentor today? It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Everyone's kind of living their life. If you want a mentor, and smart leaders do, you want mentors, then you go ask them for some mentoring. Mm-hmm. And um, Mark Sanborn is a past president of uh, National Speakers Association, He's the guy that saw me present and said, Kirk, you really need some help, and you should join the National Speaker Association. So, and he offered to give me some help. So <clears throat> I got my courage up and called him 
a couple months after he offered, and I said, hey, so what kind of advice do you have for me? He told me three things he'd recommend that I do. Mm-hmm. And I said, thank you, sir. And he was very great. So I hung up the phone. I called him back about six months later. And I said, hey, Mark, it's Kirk. And, hey, Kirk, how's it going? I said, great. Do you have any advice for me? He said, well, tell me first about the three things we talked about last time, of which I had done nothing. Mm. And he quietly but firmly told me, he said, Kirk, he said, one of the great things you can do to honor someone who's willing to marry to you is actually follow their advice. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I said, you know what, let me call you back when I've done those three things. And he mm. said, that'd be great. I can't wait to hear from you. And he was sincere about that. So uh, he taught me many things, and he taught me how to get a mentor. He said, Kirk, to get a mentor, you've got to ask. You've got to make it convenient for them. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be willing to learn and do the things they offer. You've got to be willing to take action on the advice that you get. Mm -hmm. And um, here's an idea how to make it easy for them. Bruce, I want you to – Bruce, you know, I respect you. I enjoy you. I've looked up to you. I I also appreciate the experience you have specific to leadership in this industry. I'd like you to be my mentor. God, that sounds like I want you to be my wife, you know, that's big. So <clears throat> to make that Let's easy, not go there. Well to make that to make that easy, I've got to say say, Bruce, here's what I'd like to do. Um, would you be willing to let me buy you breakfast or lunch um once a month if I came prepared with four specific questions that I wanted to know more about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's try that again. Bruce, because I, ideally I want you to say yes, Bruce. So this is a, yeah. role, play. This is a role play for our listeners. Oh, okay. Bruce, I'd like you to be my mentor, but I want to make that easy for you. So would you be willing to let me buy you breakfast or lunch once a month if I came prepared with four or five questions I'd like to know more about? Yes, I would. Yeah. So that's how you get a mentor. You've got to go recruit one. You've got to make it easy for them, and you've got to put some parameters around it, and you've got to act like there's some things you want to know about. That requires me to come to the mentor meeting that little meeting prepared, right? So I'm now I've got a pen and paper in hand. I'm ready to capture knowledge as it rolls forth from the deep well of wisdom that is Bruce. <laughs> hey, this sounds fun. I think okay, I want to go to breakfast with Bruce too. Okay, there's uh, mentoring. There's mentoring one on one. Yeah. Well, let me just do this too. If we could uh, sort of take that, I think these are fabulous ideas, and if we could sort of turn them on their heads, because a lot of our listeners are actually in the position of the mentor rather than the mentored, although I think everybody here is in a position where they need to be mentored as well. So sure. I think that's great advice. If we uh, sort of say, well, how do you become a good mentor? One of the things that's coming through uh, from what you've been talking about is the fact that there's no broad brush, that really building culture, building the outrageously cool culture, uh, really is the sum of a lot of individual interactions. And that, uh, you know, if you say to yourself, you know, I don't have the culture I want or I I don't have the people motivated the way I want, well, then the first place to look is the next person whose eyes you look into and say, okay, what am I doing in this interaction, which is good or it's bad? Because what you experienced with your teacher, what I experienced with my teacher, et cetera, you know, those were all very individual things, right? And, uh, you know, it, it strikes me as you talk that uh, really building the culture, you, you, you need to have some broad brush ideas. You have to apply them by interaction by interaction. Bruce, you're dead on. Every model that you ever look at that looks at how, do you, how does someone influence culture or any kind of cultural model, you've got to ima- imagine the last model I looked at was, I think, from the Covey organization, the Franklin Covey folks. They've got a mm-hmm. – it's concentric circles. So there's the, 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 so it's like a, imagine you're looking in the center of a planet. There's the crust, and it kind of goes down, so there's these circles of color. 
the outer layer is the organizational culture, then there's the team culture. Then, the, But every time, every model comes back to the core, and the core is there's an individual there, and it's how that person feels. Mm-hmm. And if we can influence how that person feels so they feel better, then every every person is positively or negatively contagious. So they're influenced in the culture. So it nothing in work or life gets better until we do. Nothing feels better until we do. So we've got to be able to influence that person. So you're exactly right that every interaction counts. But what leaders have to do is they've got to teach their people that every interaction counts for you. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not my job or Bruce's job to, to change or improve the culture. If we want this thing to feel better around here, we've got to all take a piece of ownership of what that is like. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to teach that accountability, and we've got to inspire it as well. So just mm-hmm. teaching people that's their responsibility, they just feel like you just gave them one more thing they've got to do. Right. But you've got to inspire them to see the connection between how they want to be and become and, and what that looks like on a daily interaction. So. So what we do is I would uh, – one way to do this, if we go back to our mentoring example, would be I would then in front of my team go, because I want to model humility. I'd love mm-hmm. them to be more open. I'd love them to be more pliable. I'd love them to be more willing to change. I'd love them to be more accountable. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is say, you know what, I just had the greatest experience. I'm talking in a team meeting. Before we jump into our weekly staff meeting, can I just tell you this experience I had this week? And they're all looking at me like, what do you got to say, Kirk? And I go, you know, I went to the, uh, the call center um, uh, division manager uh, Bruce, and I, I asked him to be my mentor. And you know what? He agreed. And here's how I did it. And Because I want to learn how to be a better leader, and I, I just know. And so next week, I'm going to take four questions to him. And these are the four questions that I'm thinking about presenting to him that I want to learn so I can be a better leader for you guys. Mm-hmm. Now, look mm-hmm. what I just did there. I just modeled for all of my people that I'm looking to improve. I'm looking to grow. I showed them how to become or get a mentor. I mm-hmm. modeled for them all the behaviors I wish I could see more of in them. Fabulous idea. You know, that's a fabulous idea. We have a lot of callers, so please press 1 on your phone to let us know if you have a question. And, in fact, uh, Brian, do you have an email question for us or or someone on the phone? I have an email question for you. Yeah, and that's right, Bruce. We do have a lot of callers, so I just want to remind everyone uh, we're not taking any uh, questions over Call Talk today. But uh, if you'd like to ask a question live, the phone number is this, one Three four seven eight five seven three one one seven, and obviously there's a lot of good information going through the show today. So make sure you do that. Press one on your phone, and we'll get you in. But this is a question from Phil, and uh, he asks, "What did an agent satisfaction survey and the agents are really, uh, or we did an agent satisfaction survey and the agents are really unhappy about pay? So what can I do to overcome this?" Hmm. So do you want to take that, Bruce, or you want me to just dive into that thing? Why don't you just dive into it? <laughs> okay. I've got okay. some thoughts, too, but why don't you uh, uh, give right. it a hit? <laughs> okay, well, listen, I, I, and the question is from Phil. Phil, um, I appreciate that's what the agent survey said, but let's look beyond the agent survey for a second and look what every survey that we've, that we've seen for the last 30 years. Mm. And for the last 30 years, every survey says pay actually falls down like somewhere between five and seventh on a typical list. That's our, uh, our experience as well. Yep. Okay, so in terms of surveys, yep. So let's answer the right question, and the right question, uh, or, or the better question, and that is, what are what are they really dissatisfied about? Now, it's hard for me as a dissatisfied employee to say, well, I'm just not feeling loved today, and I don't feel appreciated. So we begin to point to the obvious things that are more measurable, like because we don't want to sound like we're not, we don't, you know, like we have, uh, like we're needy. 
So we just go, yeah, I'm not being paid enough, and I've got bills. And Well, yeah, we all have bills, and we all have stress, and we all don't know how to manage our money. So uh, um, so we, we point to pay, but let's, if we really care about these people, let's look at what Gallup has been telling us for years with their engagement index. Let's look at what Patrick Lencioni has been saying in his book, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job or the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Let's look at what the surveys really say. And the surveys really say the number one issue from one of the number one issues for employees today is they feel their manager or leader cares little about them as a person. They, they feel they have little interest in me as a person, my personal development. They don't, they don't care about my opinion. They're not asking me. They're not, they, they feel disconnected and disheartened and discouraged, and they lack hope. So there's your real number one issue. And you don't have to go any farther than the three, three signs of a miserable job. Mm-hmm. So what, what your employee really wants to know uh, not so much what they really want to know. They really want to feel something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bruce, tell me about yep. you guys. No, you're the benchmarking uh, actually, people. Uh, what you said at the beginning about uh, where pay uh, falls on the scale is exactly what our uh, surveys have shown as well. And one of the things that I think you need to correct for a little bit is the fact that some people are happy with their pay, and so they're uh, obviously not going to put that at the top of their list for something they're unhappy about because relatively speaking, they're either at or above the pay grade in their area. But I, I think it is true that um, the main reason people leave jobs is not because of pay. It's because of their direct uh, supervisor and their direct managers. And if they do feel appreciated, if they do feel the things, Kirk, that you've been talking about, they will stay because they like the family feeling that's oftentimes uh, you know, palpable in really good call centers, and they enjoy coming to work every day. So uh, I would agree with that. There, there's one sort of technical thing that I could also suggest uh, to sell, which has to do with uh, finding ways to up pay through pay for performance, in which both the company makes more money and they make more money. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's sort of a little bit off topic. Happy to take it up with you if uh, you're interested in that. Uh, but uh, you know, Bruce, uh, Bruce, let me jump in here. A couple things come to mind. I think our time is running running out. And I, yeah. I want to. A couple things come to mind, and maybe this is a future call. We did this 10 years ago, so it should be easier to do today, but we created what we called an agent profit and loss statement. Mm-hmm. So we gave our agents a daily profit and loss statement, which involved teaching them, teaching them what their fully burdened cost was on a daily basis and what the value of every solution was that they offered. So in other words, we don't want you to just take 30 calls to take 30 calls. Every, every call, every solution is worth something. But it gave our people a chance to feel like they were scoring enough points or earning enough revenue every day to cover their fully burdened costs. So that's another call. So, and that would be something these managers would love. But, but I, I, sent, I sent Bruce and Brian, I sent the Call Talk team uh, three of my favorite articles that I've read in the last year. Now, that doesn't mean they're a year old. Some of them are much older than that. But, but you guys, as I understand it, you've placed these articles for download on your website. Is that correct, Bruce? Yes. You've got that's, these? that's correct. We've got yeah. it at uh, benchmarkportal.com under uh, the uh, helpful articles section. Yeah, thanks okay. for sending those. Those are great. Okay, so here's what, here's what they are. I'm just going to give you just a, the briefest 10, 15, 30-second overview of these articles. The soul of the sports machine tells the story of the Dallas All Spartans, the winningest football team, high school football team, with the winningest sports streak in American recorded history. I want the call talk listeners, it'll take you less than seven minutes to read the article, Look at the core. Look at the core principles that allowed him to take this team from not having a winning season to having the winningest record 
in America and the longest winning streak in American sports history. And the core principles, as I see them, are relationships. There's a line from the article that, if I can quote it, it goes, he institutionalized the process of building bonds and intimacy among his players. So read the article, uh, those on this call, with the idea of how can I make building relationships among my key players not an event but an ongoing process, and I would suggest the word tradition is the answer. The second article is an article that was in Business Week that I came across called The No-Cost Way to Motivate. The No-Cost Way to Motivate. I think the guest author was Patrick Lencioni, again, the author of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, The Three Temptations of the CEO, The Three Signs. He's one of my favorite authors. And that article is called The No-Cost Way to Motivate. It's a, you can read this article in less than four minutes, and it gives you a couple key insights about the, what he calls the no-cost way to motivate. And the key is uh, helping people feel known and cared about. That Bruce and I were just talking about. The third article, mm-hmm. it was um, published by, I think, Harvard Business Review, a, a lesser college than Purdue by, by many standards, um, but, uh, but a, 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 a good skull. And that's called, that article is called Why Your Employees Are Losing Motivation. And this, this article fascinates me because it talks – this is – the sample size for the article is 1.2 million. So this mm. didn't interview six people and say, here's our opinion. 1.2 million. And what they determined was most employees start their job with a pretty high level of motivation, but in 85% of the cases, their motivation takes a massive decline in the first six months. Mm. And mm. for another show, Bruce, we should talk about why that is, where it goes, and how we can get it back. That sounds like a great idea. Great and idea. Then, and if I could add a, a third sure. uh, recommended reading, it would be the Dark Poop Initiative, your book, because it's uh, <laughs> an illustrated book. I mean, it uh, looks like it's for kids, but it's really for everybody. And it's uh, all about uh, seeing a problem, and instead of ignoring it or pointing to somebody else to take care of it, it's all about taking responsibility for it and learning how to confront it. It's really oftentimes not as hard as it looks to actually take care of the problem. And uh, also a key part of it is showing by example, which is one of the earlier messages that you had in the show, Kirk. So, um, yeah, no, I think uh, those, well, are, those are all good points. Without pitching my book, I think one of the reasons call center managers love that book and other books like it is it's a five-minute message. Leaders don't have time or don't feel they have time, and teams don't have time. So managers and leaders are looking for what's a quick hit or a quick message that illustrates a singular principle Mm-hmm. So I can teach my people or remind my people, hey, this is a core principle for success, happiness, personal growth, and joy. And if we can give people a little bit of that success, they'll take that home with them and feel better about themselves. If we can teach them something they can go home and teach their kids, that will help reinforce the message. And I think that story has been, has been uh, embraced because of its ability to transfer across context. It's just very simple and it's very actionable and leaders like that. And the little bit of adolescent humor doesn't hurt either. So that's no, poop is always a good, good topic, especially in the context. <laughs> anyway, uh, do we have time for one more question, uh, uh, Brian? I've got a question if you guys have the time. Okay, let's do it. All right. Okay, uh, this one uh, is from Drew, and she asks, I have mostly good agents, but a couple are always negative and drag, drag everyone down. What can I do about them? Mm. Um, two things uh, come to my mind immediately. One is, uh, based on something you said, Bruce, the number one reason uh, good workers leave is usually their immediate supervisor. I think every leader on this call uh, would do themselves a favor if, if they read two books this year. Um, the first one is um, uh, The Likeability Factor by Tim Sanders. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second one that I really helped me is Leadership and Self-Deception mm-hmm. by the Arbinger Group. <clears throat> so then I would read the book, The Arbinger Group, and I would, I, would, I would consider that. Then I would give that book immediately to someone on my team that was mostly negative, and I'd say, man, I learned so much from this book. Let me offer it to you, and then let's talk about it together. But you can't just give the book to them and say, hey, go fix yourself. You've got to let the book affect you and then say, man, this book really affected me. It's, it's changed the way I viewed some things. And, um, and, then, and then say, I think this can help you as well. So you've got to teach people. A lot of people don't realize how they're coming across. And if without awareness, there's no change. And uh, <clears throat> we also got to remember that negative people or cynical people sometimes appear to be negative, right? <clears throat> but they don't see themselves as negative. They, they see themselves as realists. But optimists like me think, man, you're just a negative Ned. Well, they don't see themselves that way. Not only that, but as weird and different as we think they are, they mm-hmm. think we are equally weird and different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes sometimes it's just recontexting that negativity and saying, what, what's the real issue here? Yeah. We've got to help people understand how they come across, though, and, and that doesn't include shaming them or, or belittling them. And if you haven't already let them go, that must be because they're solid performers or they're in some kind of a union and you can't. So. Um, mm-hmm. That's a that's a subject for another call. Well, we could really talk about that. That's a thirty minute topic. Easy. <laughs> oh, it is. That is. Okay. Well, actually, that, that's a it's a great answer too. And I think we've come to the end of a really good uh, half hour show. Actually, it's more than a half an hour at this point. So I'll turn it back to uh, to Brian. And thank, thank you. Uh, thank All you very right. much uh, to Kirk and to everyone who had joined us today. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks again, Kirk and Bruce, for all your insightful discussion today. Uh, in an effort to be completely transparent to all our listeners, as we have a lot of people logged into calltalk.tv, apologize for the technical difficulties. We're unable to ask questions. Now, we do want to give away a few books, a couple of Kirk's book, Dog Poop Initiative, as well as Bruce's book, Benchmarking at its Best, and the free uh, benchmarking report. So here's what we want to do. I'm going to throw this out there. The first five people that email me at Brian at BenchmarkPortal.com will get a prize. Again, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at BenchmarkPortal.com. So that uh, opens up the door for everyone. I know we have a lot of callers as well, some from Minnesota, Pennsylvania, California, all over the place. So once again, thank you to all the people that are listening from around the uh, the country, and I hope you have a wonderful day out there. We want to get some winners and some books out there. So make sure you do that, Brian, at BenchmarkPortal.com. Uh, so I want to also remind you that our next Call Talk session is January 12th. It's a special workforce management edition of Call Talk with an industry expert, Adam Sinowski. He'll be with us to talk about how to understand and embrace advanced workforce management as a key component of your success. So make sure you don't miss out. But once again, thanks everyone for joining us here in Call Talk today. Kirk Wiesler, what a great treat to have you on the show. And I'll also remind everyone that we do have a free reality check benchmark report that you can take at our website, benchmarkportal.com as well. So happy new year, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. And I hope you get out there and have a great day. Keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day.